All right, so I have a confession for you guys. Maybe you can play along with this. Um, can you like do it all like a big collective gasp? There we go, so let's try that. Guys, I have a confession to make. There we go, that's perfect. See how much fun that was? All right, see if you guys are ready for that, maybe later and on. <laughs> so I have a confession. Um, Something that is a flaw within myself, uh, it, is, it is the fact that I hate to wait. I hate waiting. I absolutely hate to wait. And this is a beautiful season. It is a magical season, you know, with the trees and the decorations. But there is a lot of waiting, a lot of waiting in lines. And I, man, I love all the Christmas stuff. I love it. But man... Let's be real here, like waiting in a line. Oh my gosh. And it it got better for a little bit when you know phones came out and you could just just zone out on your phone, right? And that you don't even realize you're in line until you hit like a dead spot. And then you realize, like, oh no, I actually have to like fully <laughs> realize the boringness of this line. <laughs> I got, I mean, it's just awful. I hate waiting, uh, just all together. And, you know, I used to think that this was just like, this is, this is just me. Like, this is just a, a personal problem that I have. Um, but that changed. I started realizing, oh, no, this isn't just me. This is universal. A lot of people hate to wait. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident in that, actually, that statement. That people in general, as Americans especially, we hate to wait. And you know how I know that? Because I've worked in customer service. <laughs> and you know that people have a really hard time waiting. My first uh, experience was I worked for uh, Best Buy. It's actually where I met Stephanie, my wife. Uh, fun fact. But I saw Black Friday, and that was... Uh, whew, I'm, I'm still processing the trauma from what I witnessed on Black Fridays for several years. Um, and, but, you know, I, I kind of was like, okay, this isn't just me. This is a problem. But that, what really made a realization is when I uh, started uh, working for the coffee company. Um, I'm not going to tell you, and I, I, I hate mentioning it, but just a little hint. It, it rhymes with Charbucks. I don't, I don't know if you'll be able to put that together or not, but uh, do we have the slide of their, because uh, I I've, have like, it's not my, the store that I worked at, but it is really, really close. And if, so that's the first one. And then... So what are you waiting on? That's the title of the message. So you can see the Black Friday there going on in the background. <laughs> Someone say, does that how Black Friday works? Yes. <laughs> um, I think it was uh, the Holy Spirit work to give us Cyber Monday to kind of start to, you know, release some of the pressure. Anyway, so I worked at a, a coffee shop, but it was a drive-thru uh, coffee shop. So not only are people expecting things fast, they're coming in and they're grumpy and they, they just barely woke up and they haven't had their coffee yet. Now that's already bad, but my store, my first store, 
was an absolute disaster. Uh, not that like the people were a disaster, but the facility was a complete joke. Uh, this building was completely broken down. They had renovated it from like an old pizza shop in the 60s, and we know that because literally we could see the grease stains on the wall in the back. Like things were peeling, and we could see like you know the pizza designs from the previous <laughs> the previous business. I mean, it was really bad. Computers were crashing. Uh, machines were breaking down all the time. But the worst part was this really underrated part that you don't really think about as being that important, but was the intercom. The intercom is what holds it all together. <laughs> and this uh, intercom was a complete joke. Now, there's some stores, they have these beautiful LED screens where you can just see everything. You can hear the barista in crystal clear, high definition. That's not what we had. What we had was this, I don't know, it was like a tree stump. No joke, like a tree stump that they just drilled holes in, threw in a 1950s transistor radio, and the whole thing just barely worked. And when people would talk, if they didn't enunciate and talk real quietly and carefully, we had no idea what they were saying. And so... You know, people come in, they're grumpy, they're like, yeah, yeah I'll take a grande and a venti, uh, triple uh, ristretto, uh, caramel macchiato, uh, splash of brevet, uh, no whip, upside down. Now, did anyone actually catch that? Did anyone, like, did anyone, if you, if you understood that order, you are a coffee addict. <laughs> now, some of you are like, okay, I didn't quite hear it. And then some of you are like, is Vince speaking in tongues up there? Like, what's going on? <laughs> um, you know, and is he going to give an interpretation? Well, I'll tell you the interpretation. That drink is getting made wrong. That's what I was going to say. Because all I hear is just... And at this point, I go from an over-caffeinated barista... <laughs> to a um, to a code breaker straight out of World War II. I'm in the back. I, we all have headsets, so we all can hear it in the back. And so we're just like, "What did he say? Did he? Did what? What did you hear? Oh, I, I think he said a grande. No, no, no. It was a venti. Oh, wait, was it two pumps or no, 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 no? Like, and then finally, I have to ask the question, and I'm just like dying as I say this because I know what's going to happen next, and that is. I'm so sorry. Can you please repeat that? I couldn't quite hear you. And I'm already cringing because volume is not the problem. But they always think the volume is the problem. <laughs> and so, you know, what comes next is a... And at this point, I don't even know, you know, if I'm serving coffee at the window next or if I'm going to be doing a deliverance. I mean, it's, it's rough. It is absolutely rough. And, um, you know, the person, eventually I had to tell the person, like, just pull up and we'll have to take your order there. And they just are irate. They're irate at the window. They're disrespectful because they know they're going to have to wait even longer. Uh, and the reality is that when you're waiting in line, you get really, really frustrated. <laughs> uh, and people just get really upset. Uh, but another realization that I had uh, was just that maybe as Americans, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's not just a completely universal, maybe it's an American thing. I don't know. But one of the things I started noticing was a lot of missions trips. And if you've been on a missions trip, you maybe have heard this. Either 
people coming back are actually on the mission field. And if you're in a particular country, they'll say something, you know, when the, about the, the service is about to start. And they're like, well, we'll see if we start, you know, we are on such and such time. And it just depends on what country you're in. Like, oh, well, we are on Mexico time. If you're in Mexico, well, we are on Nicaraguan time. And, and the, the implication here or the insinuation is that, you know, the people in this culture, they, they're a little more lax on time. Like, they don't really, they kind of take their time in doing things. They don't mind waiting. <laughs> um, but we do. So we come in and we're like, oh, man, like, it's Mexico time, or it's Nicaraguan time, or it's Indian time, or it's, you know, Zimbabwe time. I mean, I've heard probably seven or eight different countries. And I remember one time, Holy Spirit was like, you know, Vince, at what point do we realize that maybe <laughs> like th they don't have their own unique time? Maybe we do. <laughs> maybe we're the ones that actually have a different type of processing of time. Maybe, maybe we're just really impatient. And that's a really big problem. That's a big problem because when we look at the Bible, the Bible, and revival history says there is one key to breakthrough. There is one key that brings revival to your family, to your neighborhood, to your nation, and around the world. And that key is described as waiting on the Lord. But what does that even mean? <laughs> so we're going to look into that. So we're going to read Psalms 130. Now, this psalm is known as a psalm of the ascent, or literally, psalm of the step. And scholars believe that either one, it was when David was bringing up the ark, or what I think is more likely, that it was actually psalms that they would sing as the priests would go into the temple, uh, Solomon's temple. So there's steps. Uh, and that they would actually sing these songs. So there's a collection of them. So that kind of becomes a, a theme or maybe uh, a motif of this is sort of a way to prepare yourself for revelation, for experience with the Lord. So Psalm 130. Out of the depths I have cried to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the sound of my pleadings. If you, Lord, were to keep account of guilty deeds, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and I wait for his word. My soul waits and hope for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning, yes, more than the watchman for the morning, Israel, wait for the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his guilty deeds. So wait on the Lord. So this is a phrase that is used all over the Old Testament, uh, David especially. And David, he uses it in the Psalms to describe personal breakthrough, but also geopolitical breakthrough. Psalms 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. 
Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalms 37, 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. See, that's mind-blowing to me. I mean, the first one, like, okay, that makes sense. Like, the Lord's going to strengthen your heart. But what David's saying is that through waiting on the Lord, you will inherit the land. You will be exalted. Now, David's speaking from experience here because he was just a lowly shepherd boy, and he becomes the king of the nation. Now, it didn't happen overnight, but it happened. That's incredible. But I'm not going to lie. I think if we look at this, and we're being real with ourselves, that's pretty offensive because (laughs) when you think about it, how is just waiting doing anything? Now, some, this guy, he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> He's like, yeah, well, how does waiting help? And, you know, sometimes the translation will put, like, hope in the Lord. And that seems a little better. But, you know, if we're, again, being real with ourselves, how is just hoping making things better? How does hoping just change the, the national landscape? You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I'm just hoping things work out, they don't usually turn out very well. You know, we can hope that, you know, our vacation's going to go well, but we know a lot of times just hoping for the best doesn't usually work. Like, we actually have to do things. We have to plan things. We have to carry out actions, right? So, what's he talking about here? And so, (laughs) but it seems really important. Like, when you read this, it seems like, wait on the Lord. When you just hear those words, there's something that just peaks in your spirit that says, man, like, there's something here. And so, what this word actually means, the word wait, see, this word wait completely unlocks the entire passage. The word for wait here in the Hebrew is kava. Now, if we can get the slide for the breakdown of that, because that, I, I do need that to, to explain this. Um, for kava, uh, it means to entwine together, like two ropes being gathered together as one. Uh, The first time it's used is actually in Genesis 1-9, when it's talking about God, you know, in a day of creation, takes the waters, and he gathers them together to create seas, to create the ocean, and then, you know, land appears. But the idea is that he entwines the waters together, not over, you know, over a course of time, but in, you know, one moment, he entwines it all together, like a condensed time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so that brings a lot more, you know, richness, right? So entwine yourself to the Lord, you know, and keep his way. Entwine yourself to the Lord. Um, in Psalm 130, in some translations, it says, I wait with my whole soul. So I entwine to you, Lord, with my whole soul. Okay, like, that's pretty cool. Like, that seems like there's something happening. But two questions, right, <laughs> that should be popping in your mind is, okay, but what does that mean? What does it mean to entwine yourself to the Lord? Like, this seems like this is not just some passive, like, demeanor, but this is like, seems like this is an actual, like it's a, it's a mindset, but it's an actual action that you do. 
to like, what is that? And the second thing is, how do you go from entwine to wait? <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but that seems like, how did we get from this Hebrew word to the translators to translate it this way? And so to understand that, we have to go deeper into the Hebrew letters. Can we pull up that slide with the Hebrew letters? Uh, so Hebrew is different than Greek and different than English. Hebrew is the language of artists. And what that means is that every single word is an actual picture. So like a twine, like it's literally this concept of like two um, like ropes coming together as one. Uh, but when you actually get to their characters, it's like their letters essentially, those have a, a picture too. So it's like a picture, several pictures getting put together to tell a whole story. And that's in every word. <laughs> and it's pretty amazing. So when you look at the word, it's um, three letters. So the first one is cough, which means revolution, condense, time. I have the modern Hebrew letter. I have the modern <laughs> Hebrew letter. Um, but what I also have included at the bottom is the ancient, ancient Hebrew letter, which is what the psalm probably was written in. Now, they believe, most scholars believe that that circle was initially horizontal, so it looked like a sun coming over the horizon. So the idea of a, a time, a day, a revolution, it's condensed. The second letter is vav, which is, means secure or hook. And so if you look at the bottom, it literally is a pig hook, how they would actually secure their tents. Kind of interesting. Now this is where things get really interesting, and that is the word hey. And the word he is probably considered the most sacred of all the Hebrew letters. And, that's, and you can kind of start to get an idea when you look at the ancient um, version of it. So it means to look, reveal, breath. It also can mean revelation, um, divine. And so what does that look like? That, like I actually, I didn't think you guys would believe me. So I actually pulled like from an actual rock where they drew this. Uh, what does it look like? It looks like a person worshiping. They had their hands up. So the idea is that your hey is to look. And in that looking, your breath is taken away. And you're just in awe of what you're looking at. A lot of times, hey, if it's by itself, it'll be translated to behold. Like, you know, behold, you know, the Grand Canyon, behold. Like, it's something absolutely magnificent that totally is just so awesome that it's, it's, it's just jaw-dropping. So when we put it all together, we get something a little more richer. We get this idea that over a course of time, a condensed time, you hook yourself, you secure yourself to revelation, to worship. So what does it mean to wait on the Lord? It means to take time to secure yourself, to hook yourself to the revelation of heaven. So when, when you're in worship, one thing, it's kind of a, a game breaker, um, game changer, um, is when you start to close your eyes and the Holy Spirit starts to show you things, everything starts to change and he starts to show you what he sees 
is where it becomes, <laughs> like you become part of heaven. And so the crazy thing is that as you start to participate in that, something starts to change in you. Your body starts to change. Hmm. How many of you know that when you first started to do something, you were really bad at it? <laughs> like ride your bike, I don't know, it could be, and it drive a car, these things, you're really bad at it. And why are you bad at it? Because you haven't actually like developed any like neural pathways in your brain. But what happens? You keep practicing it, you keep practicing it, and suddenly it becomes second nature. This idea of waiting upon the Lord is like a, almost like an accelerated version of that, where you are in worship, securing yourself to what heaven is saying, and you start to change. <laughs> Whew. I don't know about you, but that's, I don't know, that, that gets me excited. <laughs> that's cool stuff. That's cool stuff. Now, when I was praying about this, this might be, maybe this is a little too technical. You're like, okay, but how do I, how do I like apply this to my life? I asked Holy Spirit that, and the Holy Spirit said, you know, I, I want you and I want the people who follow me. I want you to think about waiting upon the Lord. I want you to think about it in the same way newlyweds <laughs> think about their honeymoon. Oh, we're going there. Oh, all right. So, and what, I, and what he was trying to explain to me was like, yeah, there's three things that you will see in every newlywed couple on their honeymoon. There is an unrestrained separation from all distraction. There is an unrestrained expectation of how exciting it's going to be. And then there's also an unrestrained adoration. It's like, Vince, how much do we restrain, how do you restrain yourself? That's actually what he said to me. He's like, how often do you restrain yourself? I'm like, oh, God, I'm sorry. And he's like, but it's Okay. But I want you to see this. See, uh, <laughs> when we talk about unrestrained separation from distraction with a, a newlywed couple, you know, it is interesting, and you don't necessarily have to be in this situation. It's like you kind of know about it. Like, couples, they just go and, like, they'll do things that they'll never do except for their honeymoon. And it kind of doesn't matter, you know, it looks different for everybody. So if you're an 18-year-old, um, you know, right out of college, you get married, you know, you might be going to a Motel 6 by the beach because that's all you can afford. Uh, that's different than, you know, a, maybe a, a mom who uh, gets remarried and has some kids. And, you know, theirs might look like a cabin in the woods for two nights. Um, and that's like, that's unrestrained <laughs> because you've got to find babysitters and like, that's a hard thing to do. And then maybe for a couple that's really established in their, their careers or whatever, they can go to Cancun for three weeks and that's unrestrained for them. But there's this idea that they are getting away from everybody. 
You know, they're not answering phone calls. And let's be honest, like, do you really want to connect with anybody with a phone call, like, <laughs> on their honeymoon? And we're just going to say this, because there are kids in the room. Um, but, you know, things happen on the honeymoon. Um, you know, you, you, we'll just say you go out to dinner. You go out to dinner a lot when you're on the honeymoon. So... <laughs> That's a joke, guys. You can, you can, it's okay. Um, <laughs> this is church. Like, this is our church. We can laugh. <laughs> um, but when, you, <laughs> when you're planning for this separation, the idea is like you, you don't want anyone to pull you away from, you know, going out to dinner. You don't want anyone distracting you. You don't want anyone calling you. So you make plans accordingly to, for that not to happen. And there is an expectation. If you've been in a, you know, a godly uh, relationship, a biblical relationship, um, you know, and, and you've remained pure, you know, there, the idea is that once you get closer, you know, at this point, you can actually start expecting things. <laughs> and that's good. Like, you, you can start expecting going out to dinner. You can expect that. Like, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a good time. And, you know, before you have to, like, be careful with that, right? But... Now you can start saying like, hey, we're going out to dinner and it's going to be a blast. We can go out to dinner and it's going to be awesome. Okay, like we can do this. And there's this idea that, that there's an expectation and it's not going to be like, oh, well, I wonder if we're not going to go out to dinner like on your honeymoon. Like, no, it's, it's the honeymoon. This is what you do. <laughs> um, and so, and then unrestrained adoration. And in the same way, like, you know, we can have something to where, you know, we're, we're holding back and we're restraining because obviously, again, like you're, you're trying to remain pure. Um, but when you're on a honeymoon, like you, you can, you can go out to dinner as many times as you like, however you like. That's the beauty of being married. You can go out to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's like two people there, or three people finding this funny. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but the reality is that um, there is something about that passion. There's something about that passion that the Lord wants us to have. And so much of the time, we put restraint on ourselves. You know, King David, he talks to, to God, and he says in, in, in the Psalms, like, I have not restrained my lips like he's calling out to the Lord, like, I haven't restrained myself in worship to you. How much of the time do we restrain ourselves? Oh, man, what are people going to think? You know, oh, I don't know if I can do that, or I don't know if I can do this or do that. You know, it's something to where <laughs> we will find the time for the things that we treasure, right? And that's the beautiful thing about the honeymoon is that almost everybody, I, you know, everyone goes on a honeymoon, even if you don't have any money. You just find a way. <laughs> you find a way. You plan in advance to take time away. Jesus, you know, he, he went on 40 days to fast, to separate himself. Early in the mornings, he would, he would separate himself. You know, uh, the famous revivalist, who's actually known as the father of revival, Charles Finney, he actually... <laughs> He actually, uh, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit many times, and, you know, people would get saved just by a look from him. 
And he went from actually being completely unsaved to saved in the same day and the game baptized. And it wasn't at some crazy, like, conference or anything. It was literally just in his backwoods. <laughs> and all it took was one day for him to separate himself completely. And he would say he would feel the power leave, come off of him. He would feel the power come off of him. Mm. He would feel the power come off of him, and he would go back into the woods until the power came back. And he said every time it always came back, but he had to separate himself. Hmm. When we wait on the Lord, something happens. And the Lord is looking for one person, just one person, to give up, surrender their life completely in devotion to him, and everything will change. It only takes one person for the floodgates to open up. It only takes one day, one moment for the floodgates to open up. Now, you might be thinking, um, what, what, are, what are we waiting for? <laughs> um, and that's the you know, question I want to ask you is like, what are, what are you waiting for? When we look in Acts, the last words that Jesus said, Acts 1, 5, 9, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So these are the disciples. <laughs> Jesus has died, res resurrected, and he, this is his last things he's saying to them. And they are waiting for a political figure to save them, to change the political landscape. That's why they're asking. They're asking, all right, is this the time where we restore Israel? Israel um, politically would not be restored, but Christianity would be launched and the Christianity would actually completely change the empire <laughs> to accept it and throw away all their idols within three centuries. The Roman Empire would eventually be wiped out, but Christianity continued. Christianity exploded into the world's largest religion, and it all started with just a couple guys. <laughs> a couple guys, a couple girls, just normal average people. Hmm. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. He said, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when it comes upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Mm. Luke 24, 49 puts it this way. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That word stay, <laughs> much like the word wait, is not a passive word, at least not the way that we think about it. That word stay was used 
when a judge or a king have been appointed and they are sitting waiting to receive their authority, ready to receive their power. So even though they might be sitting down and it looks like nothing's happening around them, there's actually a lot. <laughs> and right now, the Lord wanted me to share with you that heaven is waiting for you. Heaven is waiting for you to give it all, to give it everything, to make that day, to plan that day. Maybe it's in the future. Maybe it's really close to set everything aside and lay it down at the altar. Maybe you've been waiting on the right political figure. Maybe you've been waiting for the right um, news story to feel better. Maybe you've been waiting for the right market or the right job. Maybe the right guy or the right girl. But these are not the things that heaven is waiting for. Heaven is waiting for you. Heaven is waiting for you. I mean, it is a tidal wave. Heaven is just sitting up there. <laughs> Jesus took care of it all. <laughs> and now he has his whole army of angels just ready for you to sit on your throne of your identity in him, to sit down and just take some time, a day, maybe two days. They waited seven days. That's not American time, I know. <laughs> But when you're in love, you do some things that don't make sense to other people. <laughs> but he's waiting for you to sit down. He's waiting for you to sit down and clothe you in his power. See, if you get up, you know, he can't, he can't clothe you anymore. <laughs> if you take your focus off of him, then he can't, he can't clothe you. And the Holy, the Holy Spirit, like a good mother <laughs> on Christmas, who wants to take away all those clothes that have a bunch of holes in them <laughs> and wants to just put you in beautiful new clothes. Clothes that emanate light into the world to your family, to your friends. Why not you? Why can't you be the spark for revival? Why can't you be the one that's different in your family, that breaks everything, that brings your whole family to Christ, that brings all your friends to Christ. Why not you? Why not you be the one that has powerful healing anointing? Why not you? Like, well, I'm just an average guy. So are the disciples. Ah, I'm too old. Well, so was Moses. Oh, I'm too shy. Did you know that Smith Wigglesworth, the great healing evangelist, he had a stutter. He was illiterate. What? Oh, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too intellectual. I, I have like two, you know, Charles Finney was a lawyer. God can use anybody. You just got to have the love, that passion, 
you're going to look silly. But you, I mean, <laughs> well, you know that relationship. Maybe you're in one, maybe you've seen one. But this is what the Lord wants to bring you in because he's been planning places with you. He's been planning things like you, just like <laughs> a newlywed. He's been planning places with you, to take you places, to have experiences with you. And it's going to change you. And if it changes the world, that's amazing. And it's going to happen. But you first have to go on the trip. <laughs> you have to sit on the throne. You have to say yes. So if there's, if you've been kind of on the verge of like, man, I know, I know I'm supposed to do something. I know God's calling me to, to, to talk to this person. I, I, I've been wanting revival. I, I know the Lord's been calling me to the secret place. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. I don't know. Like, I'm just going to ask you to ask Holy Spirit right now, what has been the restraint that you have been putting on your life? What has been the restraint that you have been putting in your thoughts, in your actions. Now, I want you to come up front. And Lord, do you mind? I feel like we we're just supposed to sing Floodgates. That's my new name of the song. <laughs> but if you're if you're just like, man, I just want to go deeper. And I'm ready to lay down these things that have been restraining me. I just invite you to come to the altar. Let it 
Yeah, I just see someone right now has like a, a deep call um, for breaking addiction off people right now. And I just see that the Lord, his fire is coming upon you. Yeah, that isn't a coincidence that you just, when you always are looking, when you're driving down the street and you have to like look at them several times, looking at people, you can see they're locked in addiction that the Lord has been speaking to you and that he's been giving dreams to you. And I see the Lord right now is giving you a ministry to breaking off addiction. Thank you, Jesus. There's going to be a billion soul harvest, but it's going to require, <laughs> it's going to require millions of harvesters. Harvesters with power. So, Lord, we ask to stretch out your hand and touch us like you did the disciples all those years ago. You are bringing revival. You are bringing revival into our secret place. Right now, I just see, oh, like a, like a honey drop, <laughs> a honey drop coming into people's hearts. Some of you tomorrow morning are going to wake up at a really odd hour and I'm just here to tell you that that's not the pizza. That's not what you ate. That the Lord is just dying to clothe you in his power. His beauty. His freedom. Right now, if you if you just have something in your heart right now, just like David, with unrestrained lips, let it go. Let it release right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. If you have a prayer language, let it go. Let it release. You're just in the room with you and Jesus. If it was just you and Jesus, what would you say? What would you say?
I just hear like uh, the Lord saying that there's this lie <laughs> um, that the enemy's been saying like, oh, you're chicken. Like literally just, you're chicken. You're a chicken. And the Lord said, that is not true. <laughs> that is a lie. He doesn't make chickens. <laughs> he only makes lions. <laughs> lions in the spirit. That's what you are. into this holiday season. <laughs> Every line that we wait in, <laughs> we are waiting in the halls of heaven. <laughs> and you are clothing us with power. Thank you again, Jesus. Thank you again for your power, for your goodness, for the revival that's going to break out in grocery stores, <laughs> the revival that's going to break out in coffee shops, the revival that's going to be breaking out in people's homes, families. I see just families where there usually is arguments, <laughs> and just your worship is going to rise up, God. Your worship's going to rise up. It's going to rise up, God. continue to soak if you'd like um, a little bit longer. If you have kids, I would say go grab them. If you do need prayer, we have our prayer ministry team come up. But yeah, we... <laughs> if you're feeling the presence of the Lord, don't stop. You're at the dinner table. 